Uh, just in my career, we've gone from uh, what four-day delivery to two-day delivery to two-hour delivery for a lot of things, which creates new challenges, new problems, new technology, things like that. We've gone from uh, considering things like drone technology for uh, certain freight pieces. We've gone to now we're considering autonomous technology. So I love that there's always something new because I don't like setting the same problem year after year. You're listening to Freight Famous presented by Rose Rocket, bringing you the people that make trucking move from behind the scenes into the limelight. Here's your host, Justin Bailey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freight Famous, a podcast produced by Rose Rocket. We've had a little break. It's nice to see everybody again. New episodes of Freight Famous will be released about twice a month. On this podcast, we talk with guests about how they build, scale, and automate their trucking and transportation businesses. I am your host, Justin Bailey, co-founder at Rose Rocket. I'm excited to introduce my guest today, Ann Campbell. Ann Campbell is the Department Executive Officer of Business Analytics at the University of Iowa, as well as the Chair in Manufacturing Productivity. Her research focuses on freight transportation, especially on problems related to new and emerging business models such as autonomous trucking, which we're definitely going to click on today. She's also interested in improved logistics for last mile delivery and better planning for disasters and has worked with companies such as UPS, Lind, and Magway. Welcome, Anne. Yeah, nice to be here. Great. So I think just to, just to dive right in, actually, let's do this. How did you end up here? So as, you know, as somebody like, you know, as a, as a, as a little girl growing up, did you grow up in <laughs> Iowa, by the way? I see the Iowa sign. Did no, you grow I up there? I actually grew up in uh, Houston, Texas. Okay. So coming in Houston, Texas, did you say, I definitely want to be teaching uh, logistics and transportation um, at, the, at, at a highly sophisticated um, academic, uh, academic level? Um, what happened from, from that moment uh, to, to how you got here? Well, I don't think any any child dreams of that necessarily. You're right. That is kind of a leap. And we all just take steps along the way to, to lead us to where we are. Um, so I grew up in Houston, Texas. Good student, like uh, you might guess. Uh, but I had a very hard time choosing uh, what I wanted to, to go into. So in college, I ended up finding that I like applied mathematics. Um, I like math, but I wanted the, as, as I like to say, the X's and Y's to have a meeting mm. uh, where I was solving something. Um, so I ended up going to graduate school at uh, Georgia Tech in Atlanta, which is, as you can expect from Atlanta, a place where the applied math is a lot in the logistics space, as they are uh, a hub for Delta, and they have lots of logistics companies associated with Georgia Tech. I went there, majored in industrial engineering, which is sort of another way of saying applied mathematics. And my X's and Y's became trucks and cargo and inventory and all of those things. And I found that super exciting where I was solving math, which to me is like solving um, a difficult puzzle. So it, it triggers that intellectual curiosity and challenge part of you. But I also like that the X's and Y's had a translation to trucks and freight. So I felt like what I was doing could translate to something companies could use. So it was that combination of things that made that be the field that I got my PhD in. Uh, and then I wanted to become a professor. 
Uh, and with professor jobs, you go where they are that year uh, when you're graduating. And the University of Iowa uh, was the Department of Management Science at the time uh, was hiring. And so I came and interviewed and, and got my job at the University of Iowa. And that was now over 20 years ago. So I started coming from working on a project with Lindy, as you had uh, mentioned, is a company I worked with where we looked at um, coordinating, uh, they had meters on tanks for their customers, and this is meters for measuring uh, industrial gases, and they had to use the meter readings to decide what trucks to send carrying what air products and when to be most efficient with the use of their trucks and have none of their customers run out of industrial gases, right? Because their customers are restaurants and such, as well as hospitals. And so keeping the meters and getting the trucking and, and coordinating, that was a very difficult problem. So that's where, where I started. But I have found a career in working in research and logistics so fulfilling because ch changes happen constantly, right? And it has been a field that every year there's a new thing, right? There's uh, just in my career, we've gone from uh, what four-day delivery to two-day delivery to two-hour delivery for a lot of things, which creates new challenges, new problems, new technology, things like that. We've gone from uh, considering things like drone technology for uh, certain freight pieces. We've gone to now we're considering autonomous technology. So I love that there's always something new because I don't like setting the same problem year after year and and because then it's not interesting, right? But we've been changing constantly. So that's why I say the things that I particularly have focused on and been interested are been emerging technologies because or emerging ideas because freight has been such an area of revolution and change over the last 20 years. It really keeps things interesting uh, from a, a research perspective. And it's also rewarding from a teaching perspective. I teach a supply chain and operations class, which for, for many, many years, um, I had spent the first day uh, teaching, this is MBA students, why you need to know about supply chains. Then the pandemic happened and now they're all like, we know now why we need a class on supply chains. So that has that is also really rewarding to help people see and learn a lot from that that they can then directly apply to their businesses, because a lot of my MBA students are people who are working part time, so they come in and, and learn about things in my class and and go in and better understand what's going on at their at their companies. So that's sort of why I am where I am still at the University of Iowa twenty years uh, later, um, and still in the field of freight logistics. Yeah, I think you definitely don't have to sell me on, um, or probably most of our listeners for that matter, on on the 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 interesting uh, applications and just the general interest of the space. It, it like you said, it's it's fascinating how it's kind of I find it interesting that that it seems to move very slow in some ways because it's just so gigantic. You know, even supply chain itself is somewhat of an opaque. St what does that totally mean from like a business perspective? What is, where does that start and where does it end? It's kind of like how I explain the universe to my, to my kids, right? It has no beginning and no end and blows their mind. And you can sort of say the same about supply chain to a, to a degree. And I would say that the, but the, then these things like these, these pieces of technology that come, they change things, but then, and I want to kind of, I want to double click on autonomous for a sec to this, because this kind of comes to my mind a lot where you've got a, a technology that seems to move from zero to one very quickly. 
And then it, it creates a lot of excitement. And this isn't just transportation. This happens all over the place. And you can kind of like, if we want to point to a very topical technology right now, it's it's sort of AI or AIs in, in general. And and I think that that it's sort of, if you look back at the, at the we'll say modern history, because I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's relatively well understood that, you know, uh, artificial intelligence has been going on, I don't know, probably since the 60s or 70s, I mean, a very, very long time. But in this new, call it like, I don't know, last 10 year horizon, it was really interesting at a certain point. And then a bunch of people piled on to thought leadership and trying to build consortiums or all these different things. And then it kind of fell off and it went away. It's like, oh, this isn't market ready. This isn't working. And then something happens, ChatGPT in this case, and it sort of accelerates. And all of a sudden it feels like it moves from, you know, it was at went zero to one, stood there for a while, could argue that it almost went back to zero and then goes kind of zero to two all of a sudden. And maybe it steps back again, maybe it goes back to one and that becomes the baseline. And I kind of feel like autonomous, I'll say autonomous trucking for just the sake of like clarity in a specific use case is sort of, it feels similar to me. And when I say that, I think about, I remember I was living in California in 2016 and I think it was a company called Auto. I think it was actually like this like spin-off out of either Google or Uber Freight. There was some legal dispute there that, that happened. And I remember there was this video that had come out and it was a driverless truck hauling um, a trailer of beer uh, it, yeah, into like yeah. Dallas or like it was like, you know, L.A. to Dallas or some relatively like significant lane. That it, that it I remember yeah, the yeah it was like Bud, it was basically a Budweiser PR, you know, campaign. Yeah. Right. Um, but and it was like, holy crap, this is like this. Now, this is 2016. So here we are in 2023. So it's like, you know, seven years later. And and you and you can still kind of get, I think, like videos of that stuff happening but you know that now there's there's sort of drivers in the truck and there probably was even then too but again it's it's like it just feels like this technology and and i think i'm going to add to that just sort of layering on is that you've also seen this and this is like again a bit of a bigger tech story but a lot of struggles closures even amongst companies that are trying to move this technology forward um just you know i think honestly because i think it's a again the the, the market the technology is is lasting, you know, the, the need to build that is lasting longer than, than the finances of, of said companies. And so I, I guess I'd like your kind of opinion maybe a little bit on what what is what is the actual state of autonomous outside of the PR and the negative tech press and like what is actually happening today in terms of uh, you know in market applications that are creating some sort of value. Um, or, or, or is there? And if there's not, that's okay too. Just maybe I'm looking for that general, like you know, what's the what's the what's the truth? Say, well, we're getting to the value piece. I think the that's an interesting way that you present it. I think the the challenge associated with getting a lot of these companies up and running or seeing more of a widespread adoption is what I call like the the origin destination piece. I think the autonomous technology seems to be pretty well developed for the on the freeway driving in good weather where there is not an accident in the road, right? So that part that is maybe not the most stimulating for drivers, the part where they, you know, it gets boring and it's long and it's just on the freeway driving straight, I think the technology is there, right? 
But the challenge is the, the origin destination piece, which is getting the truck on the freeway and getting the, and getting the truck also fueled within the process, right? It was still most are gonna be some form of gasoline, diesel kind of fuel, and then getting it to the final destination still requires a human component, a significant human component, right? So I think we're a very long way from origin destination being something we can widely do. So I think companies that began with that model are not working well, right? Because they still have to figure out those pieces. We still need a human in a lot of places to get it from the original warehouse, the original manufacturing site, a lot of ports. Some ports are implementing um, tools for this, um, but still a lot of times we need the human component to get it on and we need a human component to uh, go on the parts that aren't major freeways. Like we've talked about this idea of uh, kind of having this infrastructure of transfers where where the autonomous vehicles could, could stop and have a driver get on to help them navigate uh, cities and things like that. Uh, so we're a long way, I think, from that, maybe not long, but a few years away from being able to have that to be at a widespread level. I think what has been easier to implement and is is more manageable and, and currently exists is like the Walmart model where you do something like warehouse to fulfillment center, all owned by the same company, right? Because they can manage end to end, right? So they can do that middle mile where they're, they're managing the autonomous loading, the autonomous uh, from going from the, maybe the warehouse to the fulfillment center and just having it go back and forth, this very well-traveled, very well-known path, right? I think that where there's a lot less externalities and question marks that we can do, right? But I think it's the, the freeway we can do, but also there's a lot of concern about uh, if we're not in Arizona and Texas and Florida where there's like snow, fog, um, or there's an accident on the road, I think there's a lot of concern still about testing the technology. Because as we see things like Tesla and the cars uh, for commercial drivers, right? I mean, excuse me, for regular drivers with our like regular commercial vehicles um, that we would have, there's still some technology, obviously, to figure out with the with uh, passengers crossing the road and, and some of that in urban environments. I think some of that comes up in the uh, autonomous freight vehicles. When you think about an accident on the road, it creates this kind of surprise element that's hard to plan for. And I think that's going to keep us from being able to have it completely, completely autonomous for a while. So, and I think there's probably a, uh, an answer here. I just don't know what it is. Um, so in the event of, because uh, an accident you can't predict, that's an, by nature, it's an accident. And so you never know if that's going to occur. So my, I guess, am I to understand that in that, let's, let's use the example of, of uh, you know, DC to fulfillment center and, and that type of thing. So is that, is that, is there a driver in that truck in this case? Because you don't know if there's going to be a, Let's pretend, I don't know, a sandstorm, because even in Arizona, you know, things can have tornado, things can happen um, or, or an accident. So is there still a driver in this truck if this is what's happening today? My understanding, the ones that like the Walmarts are using from like uh, warehouses to DCs, those are completely autonomous. But those uh -huh. are also 
in the range of like 40 to 50 miles. Got right? it. The uh, situation for the longer haul situation, the rules differ by state dramatically. Um, the only states, there's a, a few states that let it be completely driverless. Arizona, I believe, is one, and there's a few more in the south. Um, but there's also a decent number of states, like 20, something like that, that allow autonomous driver, but with a passenger on board to kind of supervise. Got it. And so the question becomes, you know, how long will we be at that state, yeah. right? We have this supervisory position. And I think also with the supervisory position brings up the question of, okay, if they're not really driving, but they're just sort of sitting there watching what happens, uh, can we completely relax all the union restrictions about rest and so forth if they are not fully engaged with the driving? I think that's sort of a question. And so there's a lot of regulation things that have to be figured out with that. But I think it is something as the technology proves itself, you know, they'll eventually get rid of having that supervisory role within it. But there's definitely more states that allow the autonomous truck with a supervisor than without. Is there any parallel to to aviation uh, in terms of sort of, you know, like the yeah. the pilot still sits in, in the plane, even though it's, it's been landed by a robot for, I don't even know how long, probably many, yes. many decades potentially. And so in that though, there's still a pilot in the plane. Now your movie humans, not cargo and humans have feelings and have anxiety and things like this. And the cargo does not. So perhaps that is just simply the answer. It's a, it's, it's a comfort level versus a technology uh, competency. Um, is that a, is that a fair statement? Yes. That's a completely fair statement. And I've, I've seen people use that exact thing. It's sort of like it's on automatic pilot, but you have that other person there for everyone's confidence and safety. Right. Um, but they do have, you know, the technology to work on if there is the accident through cameras and so forth. I do think it will have to prove itself um, before you could get rid of the the pilot. You know, yeah, or, yeah. or maybe that is something that they will just keep to make all the other drivers on the highway feel safe in a lot of states. I, I think that is to be determined, right? Because that is a government regulation um, that will have to be established. And so it so there could be, just like with the airline, uh, a comfort level that that's just what it's going to take for a long time to make people okay with it. So this question may delve a little bit into sort of the meeting of, of, of this technology and a bit of psychology. So, so you know, if this is not uh, not what you've thought much about, then uh, we can we can move on. But the thing that that occurs to me when I think about autonomous vehicles and autonomous trucks is the the kind of the, the period of integration between human driven vehicles and then autonomous driven vehicles and the be, the behavior change potentially amongst the the human driver who sees that and uh, how, like that feels like a really difficult hurdle to overcome. It, it feels like it's almost easier if you just say one day, okay, only autonomous vehicles on the road, you're not allowed to drive anymore. Clearly it's not going to happen. But this idea of like the integration between them, is that something you've put like, you think about it all or do you guys talk about that in, in, in classes or is that something that's been, I don't know, do you think about that at all? Not particularly because it's kind of the same thing as, as we've been, you know, seeing more autonomous, regular 
people cars. I mean, like the Teslas and things that are able to drive autonomous integrating with. But I've, ne- I've never seen a Tesla drive down the road with nobody behind the wheel. Like I've never seen a car in the right, road with not a right, human but, sitting. So you can't tell really, right, as a driver that they're not driving. But people would, who do, like we have um, uh, a center here called the National Driving Simulator that tests what people do. Uh, when they're in such a car and they yeah. will totally do the makeup routine and everything when they're in the driverless car. So they really often are not. Right. Some people are, but right. as they get more used to it and have more confidence, they build up in yeah. the, the driverless passenger car. Um, they start being very distracted. And so they're having to integrate a lot of like, Hey, pay attention. Right. Hey, attention. Look, look straight ahead. Right. Don't be doing your lipstick all the time. You know, things like that. So, so you don't think the integration is, is going to be, is that big of a deal potentially, or it's, it's, it rolls out slow enough that we become used to it kind of piece by piece. Is that. I would think so. And I think also one way to counter it a little bit would be maybe more of a, uh, they all stay in a dedicated lane. Right. Um, like the, you know, for this left lane or something like that, it's just for those. And if you're uncomfortable with that, you can stay in, in the right lane. Something like that would be one way. I think that would help uh, the transition is just put them in a slight, you know, as, as slightly different space possible. I do think obviously people are worried about it. I mean, that's why there's the state regulations, but I think like anything else, if it can prove that it's safe over time, I think we'll eventually we won't notice it. Cause I'm always surprised what we get used to over time. That's why I say that. I mean, and yes, it does sound scary, this humongously heavy vehicle flying down the road with no driver. Sounds scary, but all the things we get used to over time that we didn't think we ever would, like the whole Uber model of having some person you don't know randomly pick you up at your house in your car. I never thought people would do that. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually just saying the other day, I was in, I was in an airport uh, somewhere and, you know, I called an Uber for the you know, trillionth time in my life. Yeah. And oh, I was in New York. I was in New York. This is why it like occurred to me. So like at that moment, I was in New York and calling an Uber. Uh, and I said to my wife, I said, it is really remarkable that, oh, sorry, I'm telling the story terribly. So it started with my daughter, who's four, had said, um, how are you going to get somewhere? Are you going to take an Uber? And I, and then she knew it as a referral. And then it was a few days later, we saw a, an orange taxi on the road and she said, what's that? And I said, it's a taxi. And I had to explain to her what a taxi was. Yeah. And so she will grow up with like Uber is the, is the dominant source and taxis are maybe not even around potentially. Maybe they are, they serve a purpose and things like that, but it's, it's obviously a small piece of the pie now. And it really is. If you think of businesses that have, that have disrupted, and I actually want to move into something. I'm just going to kind of finish this thought here. Um, Uber's, it's pretty hard one to top in terms of changing an entire, especially like a heavy unionized, a heavy, like just notoriously uh, tough, you know, in every sense of the word business in, in, in taxis and New York taxis, and they dominate the city of New York. Like that is impossible. Like that's impossible. And you know, it's, 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 it's remarkable. It's familiar. Right. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I mean, that's a good, a good model, but I want to talk about, you, you had said something that, that got me thinking about last mile in terms of expectations and, and that we, we kind of grow into this. This just becomes the standard after a certain period of time. So, so I think anybody, you know, who's listening to this has had, um, an Amazon delivery, possibly more. And we've watched the, with, with great speed, 
relatively speaking, the the you know talk about talk about really again another great example of a company that's just moved at at the speed of light in terms of its scale and scope. It's it's again another what I would say impossible business in in concept and and that these delivery times and the reliability of these delivery times are like it's it is if Amazon does not deliver something to my house on time, I assume it has been stolen. Because it just almost doesn't happen. But not where I live anyway in, in, in Toronto. Now, that said, do you think that there is a, a point that we have gone too far in terms of, of, like, do we need stuff that fast? Because I find that most things that I order, I'm kind of okay if it's one or two or three days away, not necessarily right away. Sometimes it's great to have it right away. But is there is there like is there a point where just it doesn't matter if it's two hours and one day will will normally do or it, does the market actually say like two hours matters? So it's really an interesting question. It's really one of my I think things that I think about. Um, so to say one thing about Amazon, the way that they have just tried all kinds of new logistics concepts is just been really changing the expectations and really changes because they'll just try things whether or not it's a good idea or not, right? They just will just try stuff. So it's been fun to watch the different things they try, like the drones and the two-hour deliveries and the store where you just check out without going through. So they've been a, a fascinating one to provide examples to look at so so love amazon or not they're a, a great case study and a lot of different things so I, I i'm totally interested in what they do but i do think the um the two-hour delivery or things in that neighborhood create the situation where do you live in a, a residential neighborhood with single family homes i do yeah okay so you probably see amazon trucks ups trucks fedex trucks all on the same road at multiple times of the day. Yeah, and, and minivans driving 200 miles an hour basically down yes. the road. Yes, exactly. So that in itself isn't great, right? That's not great for the environment. It's It can't be very efficient, right? Because they're not collaborating at all. Um, and do you really need the thing in two hours, right? So I think there's a lot of interesting questions there of what the future will hold for that. I think a lot of the things that Amazon is delivering in two hours, there is no way they're making money on that delivery, right? So Amazon has a lot of deliveries that it's making. Let's say you're getting uh, dog food or things that are have a very low profit margin to them, paper, whatever, things that are, are very low margin items. If they are spending all the trouble to drive to your home and it's not in a you know, urban high rise with 500 other deliveries, the odds are that the the driver's time, the fuel usage and all those things eat up that profit margin, right? So they're probably not making any money off of most of the deliveries they make for you. They're taking a loss so that sometimes you will order things from them that make money for them, right? So that you will order some really great Christmas or holiday presents for people in your family that are more high margin items. Can a lot of companies maintain that? No, um, which is why a lot of grocery delivery companies have failed, right? Because I've worked a lot in grocery delivery and almost everything from a grocery store is a low margin delivery, right? Groceries are two, 3% margin on most things. 
So that's why you've seen over the years, a lot of those start and a lot of those fail because they don't have the high profit items to fall back on that they hope you eventually order that makes the money. There's not a lot of us ordering champagne and caviar to be delivered to our homes, right? We're mostly ordering milk and bread and those things. So that's why a lot of those have failed. So I think a lot of the ones in that short time window space are not going to survive because it's too good of a service for what they're charging currently. I think it's going to go to, if you want that short short delivery time, it's going to have to cost you a premium amount. And then that's going to make you start to really think about how bad do I need that battery or whatever that you're ordering at night. Do I really need that battery tomorrow? $9.95 worth. Or can I wait a few days and have it at a lower price? Because it is really, for the most part, a loss leader to do these 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 fast deliveries of low margin items. You know, it's interesting the grocery store model. I thought again, being in logistics and before I was in software, I was more in the server side of this business. So I've spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time thinking about these things uh, as well. And I think the killer with groceries is, uh, also is that, so my son actually, my oldest son works in a, in a grocery store and his full-time job is picking orders for right. online pickups. So there's a full-time employee right. dis- dispatched um, to yep. do that work. There's actually multiples like, at one time in that store. And you're also missing out on 50 years of, of promotional product placement opportunities that people will never be able to get online. And the grocery stores cannot effectively do, especially because they're, they're often dominated by a third party that sits in the middle that is, that is really sort of motivated to um, create their own levels of, of um, uh, impulse buys. Uh, which which just just don't happen as well online. They just simply do not. You don't have all of the senses going for you in an online shopping environment. So it's a really killer, I think, for all. Like it feels like it's a real it's a, it's it's a real loss for a lot of the business. It's grocery specific because, like you said, it already starts at very very low margin, and now yeah. you've got to deploy new staff, and you're missing out on, you know, you're miss the big money items are are there to be impulse purchased purchasing. The, the, what are designed as flyer or loss leader, regular day-to-day stuff is what that's all been driven down in cost anyway, because that's what brings you to the store. It's the extra stuff where you make money on. So yeah, it feels like a pretty, a pretty tricky model that, that has pretty, you know, some real downstream impacts too. And so your, your son, you said works. At yeah, the yeah. So, I mean, he's going to take him probably close to an hour to pick a, a nice size family order. Yeah. He has to go through all the aisles to pick it. And then he gets paid what twelve dollars an hour? Fifteen. Like it's a it's on t- fifteen fifty an hour. Okay, fifteen fifty <laughs> an hour. Yeah, yeah. We put it on the delivery vehicle, or even have customers pick it up. And a lot of mm-hmm. places no additional fee. Yeah, yeah. They lost the fifteen dollar. I mean, how did that make money? Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it's a, it's it's true. And this is like kind of that that point to like this this standard we're creating that's kind of eroding. Um, because at the end of the day, if you erode the margins of these organizations, they are still for-profit organizations, so they'll have to find other places to do it. Right. And so it just seems to be like it's it's like this impossible standard that's been created. Was it ever really that important to begin with? Like, did we ever need it? Like this sort of this race for speed, like to what end? Because it's and, and I actually want to ask you this too, it's just jumping to this. The customers does, want it. But you know what? So I'm going to I'm going to 
push back a bit on that because they want it because they yes okay they, right we sort of open Pandora's box with it right we, we we they want it because they can have it I think we were okay with it before but I will say and I'm going to apply this actually to something that's that's closer to what what we work on and this is a little bit this is a controversial statement because there's a lot of businesses that do this and ours included but I think visibility is a similar concept it's like there is this incredible race to create end-to-end visibility. And when I've seen it in the field, at whether it be a shipper level or a carrier level or a broker level, it's actually, it's like, we need this, we need this, we need this, but it's used so infrequently. And it's one of these things that feels like you need it. And when you have it, you don't necessarily use it all that often. It's not a great example, but it's just, it's like, it feels like one of these things that we've created this, this standard and this, uh, uh, desire around but in practice we don't really need it as much as we think we do i guess is is, and it's hard to prove but more of a feeling more of an instinct than i guess a data point for sure that is true but i think it's sort of one of those things that like if if you offer it faster than your competitor at the same price you're going to get the business yeah yeah and then that keeps happening that keeps happening and now we're in a situation where we're very fast at a and often still at a low price and it becomes untenable. And then where do you go from there? Right. So we had, uh, I've worked with several people on this grocery delivery concept and it comes to like, people would like, most people would like their grocery delivery between five to 6 PM. So right when they come home from work, they want the groceries that they're going to use for dinner to arrive. So most people would like it between that one hour and they really want to pay something on the order of like $3 or less for that to happen, right? Which is completely impossible, right? You can't right, right, have a yeah. fleet of trucks. Delivering, I mean, but that's what people want. And yeah. so as people try to capture market and say, we'll build from there, you know, they're going to have to figure out what how they can move forward with that. But I think it's going to end up being more like this premium pricing for things to stay in business. Yeah, and I wonder too, if I, I thought about this when, um, as we started getting in this, I'm trying to think of when these thoughts were kind of occurring to me, what I think, I don't know, call it like four years ago, there was this pre-pandemic, time is hard for me with the pandemic, I, I've kind of lost yes. my grip on like when things were, so um, sometimes, yeah, sometime sure. pre-pandemic, exactly, right, so it's sort of like, yeah, exactly, before Christ almost kind of thing, like, so before pandemic, um, and it, sort of micro warehousing was was pretty it was like it was a, a topic that a lot of people were talking about and to kind of cr- smaller warehousing, um, smaller SKU counts to kind of to satisfy more you know distributed markets quicker type thing. I, I, that that has always stuck with me to think about as, um, and I think this is a bit of a value thing for me too, and just sort of how I think about the world that these things kind of like upset me a little bit, but. I guess I worry sometimes with this like speed of delivery in order to satisfy that. I feel like in areas and maybe that are areas that are more rural or, 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 or you know, less urban by definition, um, potentially more, um, more uh, economically poor, um, that your skew choices start to get smaller and smaller and smaller. That basically will say, I will present you with your options in which you can buy. And yes, you, you want these quick, but in order to get these quick, here's the seven things that you can buy. Or not seven, but you know what I mean? 200 or urban's going to have a much more. It just, it feels like there's this like baked in um, poor, get poor, rich, get richer kind of model here. Maybe I'm like totally conflating uh, the impact of that towards on society. But I don't know. Does that, does that land at all? Does that make any sense? Or is it just me like getting, getting all, you know, heavy? I mean, and, 
Iowa, I would not say is poor, but I would say is definitely more rural. Yeah. So we have uh, one fulfillment center in Iowa City. So we have a limited number of things we could get in a very short time and a lot more that take longer. We're obviously people in Chicago or near many more fulfillment centers so they can get many more things fast, you know, but that's for personal use. And again, how fast do we absolutely need them? But there definitely yeah. is an inequity, right? Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. And, and does that, so, but does that inequity um, matter? Like, does it actually have, like, what would be the, the social impact of something like that? Or is it nothing? It's just like, okay, I can buy three things. You can buy five things. Who cares? Or is there actually a, an outcome there that's, that's um, you, know, it, you know, negative or consequential in some way? I would say it would, it would have consequences in a couple of places. One would be for commercial ordering, right? Because maybe if you're, uh, but I don't know you're talking a lot about commercial ordering from Amazon, but definitely having better delivery times for commercial places uh, in certain locations and others will affect how lean they can be from an inventory standpoint. Mm -hmm. So that will cost them. Um, if you know, the longer the lead time there is for the delivery, the more safety stock you have to have and things like that. So it will cost you in the long run. But that's also, you know, kind of a choice a little bit of where your yeah. location is a little bit. And there is some concern um, on just coming back to the grocery side about food deserts, uh, meaning places that don't have a grocery store yeah. um, to them. Is it fair that, you know, maybe they can't get the f food as in as many times of day and as frequently as someone who is close to a grocery store when they're the ones who need it more? Yeah. Uh, that's the one I've seen where the inequity issue really comes up is in that food op food application because there are a lot of places where there is not a convenient grocery store. And so then you see people eating unhealthy foods. And things like that. That, is, that is a term that I've heard a lot recently. It's a relatively yeah. new term on my, on my radar. It's actually a, a concept that I've – not a concept, sorry. It's a reality that I've um, – Really uh, sort of witnessed um, through observation by driving through some of these these places. Really yeah. not, not experienced not it firsthand. Often, yeah. it's going no. to be just as likely in an urban environment where yeah. they just choose not to have a good grocery store for financial reasons for them. Is there, is there a practical, well, maybe not practical, but is there a solve for this in the work that, that you know, that, that you do? Or like, is there, how do you... It's a, it's a probably big question, but like, how, how do you help that? Or how can, you know, in, in the work that we do, how do we help something like that? That's a great question. Um, I, I don't know. There's, there's often not a simple answer because it's, you know, profits and equity yeah. don't always go hand in hand, right? Right, right. Right. Shipping to who's close to you is going to make you more money than shipping to who's far. So I think you have to build in equity in the design of your plan, right? right? I want to make sure I serve these certain areas and it has to be a priority. Right. Um, it won't just happen, right? It right. has to be in your, your directive. Right, right. Happen. Yeah, and that's that's a tough, that can be unfortunately a tough sell at, at shareholder meetings, right? That is not an easy thing to, to get through. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an area that I, I just personally have a lot of, um, um, 
would love to see sort of some solves for that. It's just a, it's just an area that's that really uh, speaks to me. I think sort of access to not just food but healthy food and having you know equality when it comes to um, what you know is, is sort of it, it basic human right type stuff. Definitely, feel, that, that's that's yeah that that strikes a nerve with me, and it's an area that I spend a lot of time. I guess uh, uh, you know if I'm if I'm gonna sort of have anxiety around certain things or certain new, new cycles kind of bring me down a bit. This would be one of those areas that I find is rest pretty heavy with me for sure. You have the, we have here the Aldi stores. And so there's probably something similar uh, in Toronto, these small footprint grocery stores. Yeah. Or have a less wide selection than in a uh, kind of a standard mass supermarket that for we have sure. in cities now. Yeah. And those are, those have been one option is these smaller footprint grocery stores. But again, I don't know, um, you know, what criteria they look for in going. And if there's a high crime situation, would they locate there or not? And, and how that goes to the equation. But definitely that that can help a lot of people. It's to just at least have these smaller footprint stores because you don't necessarily need 50 kinds of mustard to be able to be able yeah. to help uh, solve that problem. I think it's the the thing to me on that is the there's certainly the like you need food to survive, and then there becomes the question of what do you what even constitutes food you know in some cases right. of right so it's the what are you getting but if you're getting sort of equivalent of I'm gonna be sort of derogatory for the sake of making a point but you're getting basically dog food to eat it's like okay well uh, you know, good there's certain you know there's there's survival but you don't have access to fresh produce and right. and you know things that could, and, and, yeah. right and these things are and they're very expensive right and right. so i think for us we're having our challenge in 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 toronto and i think canada i think this is broadly you know globally um it's just it, the cost of food here has gotten it's gotten just crazy and and i think it's become um, you know, our, our food bank situation. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have food banks? Like, do you yes. have these? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, those yeah, are, demand for those went up a lot during the pandemic. Yeah. Those are overrun right now. I mean, we have records uh, for that type of stuff. So there's, there's some, definitely some, uh, some food inequality happening here in ways I've just never really seen before. Cause again, grocery costs have gotten so, so expensive here. And but so, in talking about making equity a priority, it kind of also makes me think about sort of this issue of, climate change yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you think about, like we talked about before, about having the four different delivery trucks on your road, Yeah, there's been efforts to make collaboration try to happen, right? Because if they could all share the same truck, right, that would hmm. be more efficient, less emissions and all of those things. But things like that don't just happen. Right. You know, everyone doesn't just prioritize, oh, let's collaborate because it's good for the world. Right. Yeah, everyone yeah. In the wants to I want to serve my customers and give them the best service. And so there often has to be interventions to make that a priority. Well, and that's tough when you've got you've got unique uh, commercial organizations carrying, you know, freight to they don't want to give that up. But, I, you know, it's interesting you say that. So my earliest business idea in this space, and it's kind of since been done by others, but it, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to, to see it through. And when I was thinking about this, it was, oh God, it was 15 years ago now. So technologically it couldn't work and I just didn't have the right, uh, the right mind to see this thing through. But, but it was really around that kind of concept of if you took all of the freight in a business park over a large area and, and took multiple companies, forget even a business park, take like a state, multiple states, and just said, can we just get access to all the freight that's moving today? And you organized it in a way that was completely 
um, efficient to say, here, you take this, you take this. And N number is still the same amount of orders that you're getting, but your network is more efficient because I'm giving you stuff all going to the same street and your network is like, you're gonna go to that street, you're gonna go to that street. So you guys crisscrossing each other all day long. And so this idea I had was like friendshiping. It was really all about, I called it that. It was about taking sort of LTL, consolidating them into these truckloads that would be, again, pre-distributed. Anyways, incredibly complex problem to solve. In application, it was very challenging because you would have, um, if you were gonna build, uh, say, three loads, turn one truckload into three um, LTL loads, uh, any delay along the way, any, I've got five skids to pick up. Oh no, I've actually got 10. It offset, you know, the, the daisy chain of impact is all the way downstream and the, and the model breaks. So, but it was, it was really the idea for me was I remember looking around and just seeing these same trucks just crisscross. That's actually where it started was this inefficiency of them. Like this is better for the environment. It's better for traffic. It's, it's, it's going to cost less ultimately if you can get this thing figured out and it creates more efficiency, more profitability. So it just seemed like this perfect marriage of opportunity. It just technically was so difficult. And I think, again, it's when you have unique commercial organizations with varying degrees of willingness to participate, invest in technology, it just, it gets, it, it, no, no one's at the same level. In terms, you know, if you go to one company and say, let's right. do this, like I'm all in. Another company saying, I would never share my data. Now the thing breaks. So there's kind of like complete open source world of transportation has always been very fascinating to me and something I've wanted to work on. And I would, I would argue that in some weird way, Rose Rocket, although we built a TMS, kind of started with that fundamental. We talk a lot about collaboration in our product. Our, our TMS talks to other, you know, other Rose Rocket TMSs and people can work together and collaborate in these things. So, you know, I think some, somehow that, that spirit has still carried through here, you know, 15 years later. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm all about that. And I've been thinking about that problem for almost two decades um, so yeah, I hear you. Places where collaboration has happened has been more in urban environments and it's mainly in European cities where they require it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then when they say, okay, we're no longer going to require it, but hopefully you guys saw that it was a good idea. They totally separate again. Oh, oh do they? I was going, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> I was really hoping for a happy and ending people there. People don't love, you know, the government. And yeah. That. So it is. It is a big question everywhere. Yeah, right. Well, because not only then do you get the emissions and the interweaving, but you get all the traffic and all that that affects everyone else. Yeah, it's a, it's I, again. I don't know how you do it in in with the like. I think you just you just kind of nailed it. It's like you, you can't really make it a government. Government is, um, you know, I guess it depends who you're talking to, but oftentimes not close enough to a problem like this to be able to sort of solve for it. And uh, I don't think uh, for-profit, independent, private or otherwise businesses are, are super enthusiastic about opening up their network of customers and saying, well, here's what I've got. What do you got? Let's organize this and share this. Um, boy, even though that could be a really, really effective way to, yeah. to, 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 you know, to, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I can, I can see why that doesn't happen, but there's just, I think, feel like there's so many goods from that, but it takes it takes at least two to make that work. FedEx yeah. and UPS could be a great case study of, of doing that. I see no world where that ever happens. Yeah, because they're direct competitors. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, but it's like it kind of goes into this whole idea of like, of of is that the way into is is that kind of behavior? This like you're my enemy. Is that the right way of thinking as we kind of move into a future and have to think about things that are more pressing like climate change or these like it, it it's almost like we need this and this is getting like this is getting pretty like you know sort of heavy in this area but it's almost like you need this this shift in the way 
we see the world, we see business, and we see sort of what we what we call today's competition, and think about it more of in a, in a collaborative, cooperative way, where you know you we can still there's enough to go around. Everybody can win. Sort of the one plus one equals three. These types of things, you know. And I feel like that's I feel like it's there, but it's going to require this this very mature um, approach and shift, um, and it's going to require companies like UPS, FedEx, Amazon. You know, if going back to your point before, if Amazon said we're we're good with like one day delivery, that's what we're going to do. I, I have a heart. There might be a few here and there, but broadly speaking, I don't see a bunch of companies saying, here's our opportunity. Let's go for the two hour delivery. Like they almost need to take a responsibility to say we set the, we are the standard. We set the standard. And so back like just as that is an example, that might not be the right one, but there are organizations and companies out there that are um that have the ability, I think, to impact change at that level and set a new standard and a new precedent for others. And it would be nice if that would, you know, would we would see that happening. That's not to suggest it's not occurring right now under the covers and maybe it'll pop up, but I, you know, I'm hopeful that in some in some way that that maybe is. I don't I don't know if they're looking at shortening because they always I mean going to a longer delivery time, obviously shortening has been increasingly popular. Sure, of course, of course. We'll expect it, but don't think it you know, there's any way it makes a whole lot of money. It's up maybe in certain things that people are buying. Uh, I do think it would be obviously a, a level of maturity to go to this collaboration. I think maybe a third party that is very, very trustworthy, you know, who will share the information only at third party and not between the companies would be uh, probably necessary for something like that to work. I think it is interesting too that a lot of these, you know, saying kind of enemies, they say, you know, we want to be our driver, our truck making the delivery. And so that's why we don't want to uh, share, right? Because we want you to see the FedEx vehicle and the FedEx driver. But at the same time, a lot of these companies have now adopted crowd shipping models, which are kind of like Uber, you know, for freight for if they have more deliveries that day than they can handle by UPS drivers. So they will use these, these crowd ship drivers who will come to the depot in their personal car and pick up, you know, 10 extra packages that didn't fit on your neighborhood's uh, delivery route that day. And they will go out there and deliver it in their personal car. How is that offering UPS service, right? When it's random guy or random girl in their car offering you something different than if they had just shared and collaborated. I, you know, I think there's some holes in that. So. Yeah, I think, I think there's also, and it's, it's, it's difficult. I think in, in transportation in general, it's, it's a, and it's, I feel like it's an argument I can make on both sides of it. So I'll just pick one side here for the sake of this conversation, but it's, it's that sort of the commoditization, like it's, it's, this is, this is tricky. It's, it's overstated, I believe at, like the difference between UPS and FedEx to the average person is nothing. Let's just like, that is, that is the truth of it. Now, would UPS and FedEx executives believe that or say that? Never. No. But are, is there actually really a service standard difference that me as an end user of this delivery can tell the difference between? Absolutely not. Maybe a little bit in the middle, tracking's a bit better. Maybe I can, maybe one day I call UPS and have a better customer experience because I can get through to somebody in three minutes or figure out how to pay that $7 bill for that weird shipment I got that I don't know why I have it. Like maybe you end up with these, an experience that you actually enjoy and therefore, you know, galvanize around that company. But the consumption of the service generally day to day is a completely non-differentiated service. And so 
it almost requires an admission of that to say, okay, look, we're kind of the same thing anyway, right? Like, so can we work together? And and to your point, they kind of already admit that by giving 10 packages to Right. You know, the, the woman in the, in the, in the Toyota Corolla. So it's like, okay, cool. That is, that is the cert. We're all of good agreements that the service standard is simply just getting this stuff to your door, you know, roughly when we said it was going to, and relatively like quite close to when we said it was going to. So, and we're all doing that together. So I guess this is all a way of saying that if anybody's listening, um, if somehow the executives of UPS and FedEx are taking time to listen to this, why don't you guys get together, collaborate? You'll probably make a lot more money at the end of the day because you go to one street, you go to the other and everybody's more efficient and your labor shortage problems and all this stuff start to really, uh, you can start seeing things more clearly and understand exactly what your networks can look like in a fully optimized way. Because unless you have every single piece of freight, you will never have a truly optimized network as long as you've got a competitor trying to take freight from you every single day on your same street with your same customers. So there's, there's I don't know that there's, a. it's, it's so obvious but again, it's it's completely obfuscated by you know, commercial realities, quite frankly. Right. I think the scale now is also higher because of the amount of increase in e-commerce yeah. last, I don't know, because of the pandemic. Yeah. And the service expectations and the realities you can get where it's more convenient to order online than going to Target, stuff like that, that there is, like you said before, enough for everybody. I do think there is a lot more opportunity for collaboration within a single neighborhood than maybe there was five years ago. Yeah. Um, and this, I, I could just keep going. Cause it's like, Oh, I'll just, we'll just keep having this conversation that I have to remember that we are, we are recording this and we have to keep this into like, a certain, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Oh yeah, we're in front of a mic and this has to have some flow to it. Otherwise I just want to like keep, keep chatting with you. Um, that was wonderful. Uh, Super wide ranging. Again, as I mentioned off the top, there's uh, there's an agenda here. I don't know if we, if we touched on most of it, but that was really interesting. I, Deeply appreciate you and um, you taking the time out to, to spend some time with us and, and help educate myself, if, if nothing else. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, it was really, really great having you. Thank you. Um, and just want to mention that since I am a researcher, if people are dealing with, you know, interesting twists on um, shipping problems that are not are not the norm and aren't you know, a little bit different than their competitors that they would like a consultation with. We have student projects. I'm always interested in in freight and that's why I always work with these different companies is to look at uh, new problems and new challenges that companies are facing. So I'd be happy for people to reach out to me as well. And how can they uh, find you? Um, I'm on the University of Iowa website. Ann Campbell uh, is my name. So just Google that and you can find it. Campbell like the soup how it's spelled and A-N-N dash C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L at uiowa.edu. Well, great. And great, great support. Um, thank you for that. Thank you for that offer. I'm sure you will hear from, from somebody that may in fact be me. Um, so <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks again, Ann, for joining us. And uh, listeners, be sure to like, subscribe, uh, checkmark, do all the things that um, give uh, positive or otherwise uh, feedback to the show and let us know that you're listening. I'd uh, love to hear from you. Thanks, everybody, and uh, be well.